Hello and welcome to the WordPress Chick Podcast. Brought to you by the WPChick.com. WordPress explained for those of us who get headaches when we hear words like PHP and functions, but want to make money with their WordPress sites. No boring code snippets here. Just WordPress happiness made easy. Now, here's your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick. Hey, what up? What up? Welcome to another episode of the WordPress Chick Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Doyle, the WordPress Chick. Today is episode 75, and I have none other than Brennan Dunn on the show. Brennan uh, runs doubleyourfreelancing.com, and let me just tell you, you are going to want a pen and paper handy, or pencil, uh, to take some notes to come back. Brennan, my mind was blown away. Talk about some knowledge bombs. This guy is uber smart, crazy nice. Um, and you're just going to get a ton from this. So if you are a WordPress, well, you don't even have to be a WordPress freelancer. If you're running a service business, if you're doing some freelance, you're going to want to take notes on this or come back to it because there's so much, so much teaching and so many great tips in this. Anyways, it was awesome to talk to Brennan and I know you're going to love this. So go ahead and uh, just enjoy the interview. I'm super excited for today's interview because we've got Brennan Dunn of doubleyourfreelancing.com on the podcast today. So first of all, Brennan, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Kim. Yeah, now this pricing thing, like before we jump into it, I do want to hear your story, but this is something that is going to resonate with a lot of listeners. And I'm going to just go ahead and take the uh, leap here and say that it, it doesn't matter what you're freelancing in. This is going to be applicable across the board. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh- if you're working with clients, if you're if you're working with businesses that have business problems, yeah, it'll be applicable. So not necessarily someone who's painting artwork for a living. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because I have some customers, some people in my audience who are like, um, you know, it, they're exactly that, like, you know, um, fine arts painters. And I'm like, well, you know, it's a little harder to do a, you know, most of my stuff is very B2B focused. So, yeah, I mean, if you're doing uh, painting or something, it might not be as totally applicable. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Unless of course you're doing something. Cause I hear that. I'm like, what about making prints or doing this? You can sell it online. You know, it's like, the but I mean, well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you're a designer, if you're a print designer or web designer, or whatever, I mean, e- even though yes, you're doing artistic work, it's still usually, I mean, trust me, most of your clients aren't paying you because they like, uh, they like spending money on logo designs. You know, they're paying you because they want, you know, that logo to actually benefit their business somehow. Yeah. You're solving a problem for them. Okay, so before we jump into that, though, you've taken a path that many freelancers hope to take at one point, and that you were able to quit your job and go full time with your business. Um, So can you kind of share your story and that journey to where you are today? Sure. Back in around 2008 is when I decided it wasn't really a decision. So I was living and working down in Miami, Florida, and I was somewhat newly married, and my wife and I got pregnant. And uh, we always had decided that when we were going to have kids, we'd move up here to Virginia to be closer to her parents. So I moved up here and I didn't have any job prospects. Like I didn't know any businesses up here. So I just, just started really just freelancing for some of the companies that I knew who were looking for people like me. I'm a, I'm a developer. I'm a programmer. So I didn't even know what freelancing was at the time. I was just, you know, I, I figured, I, I knew I had to figure out a way of getting paid or a way to like invoice. So <laughs> get some I, gigs. I, yeah. I Googled around. Yeah. I Googled, well, I had the projects. I just didn't know how to do it. I guess, you know, I was used yeah. to selling myself by going to a job interview and talking about my, 
background and my experience and then getting a, a you know, a client and, or a, not a client, but an employer giving them my bank info and that being it. I didn't know what it meant. Like I just kind of accidentally stumbled into freelancing, I guess. That's interesting and, really quick as I never really thought about that when you're going from an employee and it's basically, here's my resume and you sell yourself to selling the client. That's the, the big thing I focus on, which is that most of us, when we go freelance, we don't really change how we sell. I mean, if you're getting a job, you're selling yourself. Mm-hmm. You're typically selling yourself off of your credentials. And a lot of us, when we go freelance, we do the same thing. And I, I see that as a big no, no, which I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I went full time and I was, you know, I was char- charging 50 an hour, which seemed pretty high. You know, you multiply it by full time, which is 2000 hours and six figures. Yeah. And I, um, I started to kind of do well in, in the sense that I got a lot of referrals and I got to this point where I could either turn away work or I could grow. So I decided to grow. And again, I didn't know what I was doing, but I, you know, uh, back in the napkin math made it look good. If I could get <laughs> five people working for me, I'm billing them out at X and I'm paying them Y and Y is less. Than that's pretty X. tweetable. Back of the, back of the napkin math. Sorry. Right. <laughs> right. So, you know, well, that's what I did. And I started with subcontractors and then I got an office and then they became employees and we grew to 11 people and we got pretty big, uh, big in the sense of. Um, here's a, here's a guy who had had no formal ba- you know business background, who is now kind of in charge of these eleven people's livelihoods, and um, so you know I grew this company, and that's really where I learned a lot of the things that I talk about nowadays. I learned how to sell. I, I had to learn how to sell because my payroll was a hundred thousand plus a month. So if Ouch. I was just waiting for referrals. I'd be out of business, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no way you, I mean, yes, some months you might get a lot of referrals, but you know, if, if, you, if I was just waiting on luck, then I, it just wouldn't be sustainable. So I had to learn kind of how to sell, how to market, really how to price. Um, because you know, one benefit of charging more is you can, you have more margin. So in the event you do have a shortfall of work or whatever else, then it's not necessarily the end of the world. Right. And um, so I just learned, you know, it, it's it's crazy just thinking about it because back then when I started, you know, I was billing myself at 15 hour, which to me was huge. And that was pretty much market rate for kind of the work I was doing. But nowadays I still consult. I mean, I, I exited that agency, but I, I still consult. And my recent projects have all been north of 20,000 a week. So it's night and day difference in terms of like um, – basically, you know, the income level, but also the kind of work I'm doing and so on. Um, but the big thing, and the big thing I like to talk about is that I didn't become like 20 times better at programming or whatever else to get to the point where I could sustain this business or, um, the kind of work I'm doing now where I'm building myself out at, you know, these mid five figures a week. And, um, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, background in a nutshell, I also started a software as a service company called PlanScope, which is a project management tool for uh, for freelancers. And it, it's funny, I got a lot of people through the support channel. And, you know, typically with support, your people are writing in about like, why did, why did this break? Or how do I do this? Or whatever yeah. else. But people were writing in about like, how do I charge? Or how do I get clients? And um, that's actually where Double Your Freelancing came from. It was just, you know, I was doing all these like one-on-one Gmail threads with people who were writing into the PlanScope support channel, asking questions about their business instead of the software. And um, that's where 
really everything I'm doing nowadays came from. So that's kind of, as you can probably tell, none of it was really planned up front. It was just kind of, this is kind of a direct response. Everything I'm doing is a direct response to um, either life things or in, in the in the latter case, what my customers were asking me for. So there's like 500 questions in that for me <laughs> in a good way, in a good way, because first of all, I love it. And I have to thank you for talking money because a lot of people don't want to talk dollars and numbers, but I think it's important. And I, again, I, I don't know why that seems to be deemed as not kosher necessarily because, you know, numbers drive businesses. Um, but, you know, two questions from that. First of all, you know, I, I do think that, you know, ignorance sort of is bliss. You just keep moving. Right. And, the fact is you just, t- you took consistent action. I mean, you just kept moving forward. What was that like for you in terms of, you know, going into an agency and like you, you mentioned being responsible for people's livelihood. I mean, I've got a full team, but they're all contractors because I don't want that pressure in my life. Um, so was that, was that difficult for you to, to do that? Or did you just kind of move through it and just keep going? Well, when I started, most of the people working for me were contractors and the bottom line was a little more defined because mm-hmm. I was paying them 60% of what I built them out at. So it, you know, they got paid when I got paid basically. Yeah. And, um, but when I switched, yeah, I mean, I, I now had an office, I had, you know, the power bill, the internet bill, like, you know, all the stuff that comes with the overhead of running a brick and mortar company. But I also had the big expenses, which were the biweekly payroll. And yeah, I mean, it was, especially early on when I was still kind of transitioning away from selling ourselves as just commodity service providers to instead of selling ourselves as um, kind of like a business solution provider. Mm-hmm. It, um, it was stressful because I, you know, people it became different because I wasn't just selling myself. I was selling a team and there were a lot of challenges and kind of learning how to do that. Right. And on top of that, the, just the knowledge that, I was building a business that was, by definition, variable income and fixed expense, which is always a little risky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome, welcome to online marketing in any way, shape, or form of the internet. Um, but you know, so you had mentioned too that then you exited from the agency. So is that agency still in existence today? It lasted for about a year. So what ended up happening was I had my um, the guy le- leading business development. He took over the company and we still had lead flow. We still had, you know, client base and everything else. So it kind of stuck around and I converted everyone back to independent contractors because if I wasn't involved day to day, I didn't want to deal with the payroll. Right. So everyone basically converted. Some of them just kind of, you know, eventually got their own clients and kind of fizzled out. So I knew it would, I knew it was kind of like a, an asset that would self-destruct over time, which I was okay with because, you know, I built this up and for about a year, I was able to get residual income from it. But by that time, I mean, you know, when I when I decided to exit it, it was really because I was building this software product and I couldn't manage running an agency and also running a software company. Yeah. So I, you know, I, I made that decision to exit. And it was good because, I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of people who worked for me were more entrepreneurial to begin with, which I saw as a good thing. So a lot of them were already doing side work and, and, and I never, you know, some people are kind of very adamant about their employees are not allowed to do side work, but I never was. Yeah. And, um, so, I mean, it it was a pretty good transition to be honest. It wasn't like I decided 
you know, one day we're shutting it down and then, you know, (laughs) we still had projects. I just, I guess, you know, I was really bit by that software bug because the thing about consulting is you tend to have a few clients who pay a lot and I wanted the opposite. I wanted a lot of customers paying a little bit. So I wanted a, you know, in my case, a software product where people are paying 25 bucks a month, but you get a thousand of them paying that, right? And then no one, you know, if one person decides to cancel, it's not a big deal versus if you've got uh, four client projects you're working on this month and one decides to cancel, that's 25% hit, right? To your, I mean, if you don't have a scheduled backlog of future work and everything, so... Well, I think the re- first of all, the recurring revenue of the the many also it it sets you up in a in a different perspective in terms of selling even because it's you create the and again I've not got a SaaS product but I purchase a lot of them and you know from the simple sense that it's like when you find that tool that solves a solution there's either a free trial or it it sells yourself so it's not a matter of I mean and usually there's support people or there's onboarding if depending on the product but. I would think that there's a sort of this constant marketing machine that's running for you to, to continually be bringing in clients, but it's not at the same level. I guess it's a different level really than having to go out and sell the one to one B2B client. Well, with, with PlanScope, for instance, I mean, people literally go to the marketing site, kick off a trial, plug in their credit card and go. Um, I, I, you know, if I talk to them, it's over the support channel. Um, it's not, you know, I don't, there's no high touch sales involved, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Versus when consulting, uh, by definition, you're going to need to usually, you know, have a few meetings, write a custom proposal, whatever, whatever is involved, right? So, you know, it is nice. And I have to say, I mean, now that I've done both, and I still do both, um, if there's one thing I think every freelancer should try to experience would be somebody they don't know paying them money for something that they didn't invoice, right? So usually whether you have a, a full-time job or you're freelancing, you either request money like through an invoice or you're expected money. But when somebody can come and buy something of yours, when you didn't really participate in that transaction, you know, individually at least that, that was to me the, kind of the biggest, biggest kind of like business shifting event that I've had. Um, and it was, it was really, it still is to this day, uh, a really surreal feeling, I think. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Um, so let's go back a little bit to the when you stepped into freelancing because with W Freelancing Now, you're working obviously your biz that site is to help freelancers double their income. So it sounds like well, initially it sounds like you definitely saw that you needed to to focus on selling. So what were some of the challenges, you know, in, in going full time with freelancing or you know what? Not even the challenges. How did you go about learning those skills and implementing them? So the big, the bulk of my kind of business education came when I scaled the company. Because before that, it was pretty straightforward. I was kind of charging what everyone else was charging. And there was a lot of demand out in in San Francisco for, uh, you know, from startups, funded startups for people like me. And it really wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that hard. Uh, back then, but when I needed to scale and when instead of just being a smart person for hire, I was now pitching a team, um, there was a lot of things I had to learn. I mean, I I won't talk about the management side, but I can talk a lot about the kind of the um, sales marketing side. And and that involved kind of the realization that 
the big, the kind of the biggest realization I had when it comes to sales was that I always thought that people were paying me because I knew how to write code. You know, I, I was a good software developer, ergo people will hire me. And while that's, that's not false, the, the reason they, they hire me, the reason they hire anyone like us is because they want some sort of benefit as a result of that code. So the code is like a bridge in this case where they're right now at a place in their business that they don't want to be anymore and they need a bridge created to cross over to where they want to be. And that's what the code is. So the code is a means to an end. The design is a means to an end. The website's a means to an end. It's all means to an end. And when I really finally understood that, I could then sell that tomorrow instead of selling the technicals. And that shift, that shift from selling ourselves as a commodity to selling this solution, which is basically fixing the problem they have now. I mean, that, that allowed us to do really three things. First, it allowed us to charge more because we now had a premium product. Um, second, it made getting, uh, getting work a lot easier because it was more attractive to people. I mean, we didn't need to go after just people who were looking for software development. We could go earlier on and talk to people about, so talk about, you know, what kind of problems do you have internally? What kind of challenges do you have about getting clients or getting leads or whatever it is you do? And, um, and finally, it was a lot easier to close projects. I mean, historically, it was always an uphill battle because if I'm charging 150 an hour, let's say, for coding, well, if a client were to say to me, I could just go on Odesk and there are people who do the same thing charging $10 an hour. Why should I hire you? I didn't really know how to respond. Like, I never knew how, to, you know, if, if totally. yeah, I get it, you know, if I'm if you're driving down the road and you need gas and gas station on the left is. $10 a gallon and gas station on the right is a dollar a gallon. Like no one in their right mind would pay $10 a gallon, right? Absolutely. So it's the same, same thing, right? I mean, if you're selling a commodity, if you're selling WordPress, I mean, that by definition is a commodity. But when you're selling a, a solution, a, a fix to the problem that a business has, that's really, I think that's the game changer. That's when you can really get away from just being the smart person for hire. And instead you become, you know, a proper business, I think. I love that. And it made me think of, which I want to jump into the WordPress part is, you know, part of where I'm going in my business is podcasting. We sort of do done for you with a, a site and all that stuff. But the thing is, there's a lot of ways that people can learn podcasting or take courses. But my position is twofold. One in that it's it's about getting leads for your business and, and re- creating that relationship as well as um, being the content. So it's really not about the technology at all. I mean, because once you get the equipment, the, you get that stuff in place, it's done. And my point is that anything that we do in a business from a content creation perspective, the end goal is to drive leads and sales, right? It's, it's to, to grow that business. I'm not saying you're not there to provide a value, but they, they, they're not mutually exclusive, right? So with that, like just in thinking about selling and marketing within WordPress, you know, I've got some pretty strong opinions about this. And I get frustrated because I really feel that there is a perception that WordPress is free. It's, it's this amazing community and it's open source. So people equate, you know, WordPress to being cheap or, or something that is just based around this, this value driven community where they don't want to market and sell. I I can't, I, I see so many, whether it's a plugin developer or themes and it's like, I go to the site and maybe I don't want to buy the theme or the plugin, but there's not even an opt-in on the site, which most are getting there better at this today. But, 
you know, what do you think about this perception? I don't know, maybe it's just totally in my head, but what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think, I mean, specifically around WordPress, I mean, it's a free and open source website building platform. It's a content management system. And I think that if you, if all your advertising is your ability to uh, set up WordPress websites, I mean, that, like I mentioned before, that by definition is a is a race to the bottom. It's a commodity. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that, um, you know, I mean, again, it, it, if you're selling that technical ability, it's, it's a commoditized ability. But I think where it becomes important is when you can leverage WordPress to solve a specific business problem. So good case in point would be um, actually one of my, one of my students, he is a WordPress designer. I mean, that's how he would communicate to me what he does. But when he talks to a client, you know, he learns about their needs. And one of the examples he gave me was he had a client that they're a um, kind of like a rehabilitation center, right? So mm-hmm. their website is currently running, running on WordPress. They don't know, they don't really care, but that's just what it happens to be running on. Um, but what he what he did is he learned about, he tried to figure out, so how do you make, you know, obviously how do you make money? You make money by getting new patients. Well, how do you get patients now? And they mentioned, well, we get referrals or they come to the website and then they call us. And then um, he asked them, so how many people do you need to typically talk to before you get a new patient? So what's your conversion rate basically off of your leads? And he started to just learn as much as he could about the business of this, this client and then when he pitched them, when he proposed to them, he wasn't just saying, I'm going to redesign your website. I mean, that's what everyone was saying, right? Like, I mean, everyone's basically like, hey, you have website A, here's website B. Instead, he was saying, look, you need more. The reason that you, you're willing to spend money on a redesign is, is because you're firing the old website. You're firing the old website because it doesn't get you enough leads. So what if we can build something that gets you its only goal? Forget about what it's built in. Forget about how it looks. Forget about what plugins it has, any of that stuff. Its only goal is to get you more leads than you're getting today. And he came up with a very clear path forward on how they could do that, which then it didn't become, I mean, he, he knew the value of a lead because he asked them about their business model. He knew that a patient was worth $30,000. You know, a patient in a bed was worth thirty grand. So he could use these numbers and... Uh, basically anchor his costs. So, you know, he ended up quoting them, I think it was fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for a a very simple brochure site redesign. But it was very its only goal, the only goal of that website was to generate more leads. And it was an easy sale for him because he said, look, if I can get you, you're closing one out of ten of your leads. If I can get you just ten more leads in the first year alone, then you double, you know, you're basically doubling what you're paying me. So he really sold himself as an investment. He sold the product as a an investment asset for the business instead of an expense, instead of just a redesign or a fan, pretty new site or you know whatever a lot of us do. So WordPress was used, but it wasn't. It's not what he sold. That is brilliant. And with that, like my question is: Did did he set up like a traffic strategy for them, or or anything? in terms of what they need to do to drive traffic to the website? No, I mean, I, so to get you more details about the engagement itself, he did offer two options. One of them was just, um, we're going to leave the traffic, the inbound traffic you already have. We're not going to do anything. We're, we're just going to give you a new, new website with kind of more aggressive lead forms, I guess, you know, clearer path to getting to generating leads. 
But the, the more expensive option, I don't remember what he charged for that or was going to charge for that, included things like paid advertising and um, a lot of like, you know, content marketing and things that would get more more ultimate traffic. But the first thing he said was, you know, he knew he asked them, how many how many visitors do you get to your website in a given month? All right. How many leads does your website generate in a given month? And he just came up with the I mean, he just did some basic math mm-hmm. to help them figure out here's your current conversion rate. And again, it was he was ultimately selling them a redesign. I mean, this is ultimately what he was doing. He was redoing their website, but he wasn't what he was selling them, what he was communicating to them was a tomorrow where instead of getting 10 leads a month, you're getting, you know, 20 leads a month or whatever. Um, and that's, that's what he, and that set him apart from all of his competition because everyone else was just selling a new website and there's nothing implicit about buying a new website. That means you're going to succeed, right? Like Absolutely. there's nothing about like, okay, redesign my website. Does that actually mean I'm going to, my business will be better off? I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of clients deep down believe that. And that's why they hire us and pay us a lot of money to ditch what they had before. But if you as the consultant, as the freelancer, can tell them, here's what I'm going to do. Yes, I'm going to redesign your website. But here's how I can help you see or help guarantee, basically, that what I end up doing will actually be, will yield a positive net return, will yield a return on your investment. So the website becomes an asset is the goal. (laughs) Exactly. The, and the website is just the bridge that goes from uh, where they are now, which is the crappy website that generates very few leads, to the uh, world they want to be in tomorrow, which is a lot more leads than they're getting today. Um, so, it, I mean, I think, I mean, not everyone obviously works with clients who need leads or whatever else, but ultimately it's important to understand the business model of your clients because what you want to do is you want to work backwards to something you can affect. So this guy couldn't affect what they charged a, or how much money they made off a patient. You know, they made $30,000 on average for a patient. And he figured this out by asking them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he, couldn't, he, couldn't, um, he couldn't affect how good their, I don't even know if they had a sales team. The person at the front desk was at uh, converting people who call in. So you know, let's assume that one out of 10 people who call in will always, um, you know, will always become a patient. You know, he still can't control, so he needs to walk even further backwards. What he could control, though, was the lead generation because, he, you know, part of their leads are coming now from the website. So if he can build something that the only goal of it is to generate more of those, everything, you know, down the down the line, down that funnel gets uh, positively affected as, as a result. Wow, that was awesome. So with that, though, like I would think with – with some web devs and stuff, there is a, a hesitancy, I guess, to it's, it's like you really have to put on a marketing hat for lack of a better explanation. You have to start. There's a little bit of psychology there as well as like you were saying, some simple math where you look at this, like, what is the problem I'm solving? You know, so what are some of the common obstacles with people you've worked with maybe or freelancers when they're going through this? Is, is there a fear of stepping into that or is it just an objection that they don't want to do it? Well, I think a lot of us, and I've been guilty of this myself, um, have this idea that the client has it all figured out and we just need to come in and just do whatever we're being asked, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we assume that the client has already figured out why they need to redesign their website, um, you know, and so on. And we're just here as the order taker. Um, uh, you know, I think a lot of us are kind of reluctant to 
step in and consult, to step in and actually analyze somebody else's business mm-hmm. and figure out how our core policy, which in the case of your listeners are you know, web designers, can affect their, you know, your client's underlying business. So what relationship does their website have with their business? And I think a lot of us are just, maybe we feel like we're not invited into that discussion. You know, it's not our role to be a, a part of that. And the second thing, and I think this is the bigger thing, is that when pricing especially, it's easier for us to just point to market rates or point to what everyone else is doing. Um, you know, if because if somebody, if a client were to say, why should I, you know, why would I pay you this? You can just say, well, if you wanted a full-time employee, this is about how much you paid them an hour to, uh, to do the work or you know, this is what other freelancers are charging. The problem with that, though, is, again, it's that commoditized race to the bottom where, um, you know, a lot of us are scared to really charge according to the value we deliver. I mean, if, if I know that, you know, this this business here um, stands to make $30,000 for each new customer I send them, and I am fairly confident based off my own past history and best practices that I can get them, you know, let's say just one new customer total a year. I mean, then it's a lot easier, I think, for somebody to justify and, and uh, put forward a higher rate. I mean, nowadays, you know, if I, I'm fairly introverted, I, I couldn't go up to a new client or a potential client and say, yeah, by the way, if you want me to work with you, it's 20000 a week. Um, unless I was very confident on the value that I was able to deliver. And that would require me to learn about their business and basically tell them, I mean, one of the things I tell clients, which they like a lot hearing, is that if I don't see a clear path that I can actually make a return on your investment, then I'm not going to want to work together. Um, So it's a really, you know, it's because a lot of people, we sell ourselves as an an expense, right? Like we're off center for the client. And when you can really figure out how you can positively affect their bottom line, I mean, the two the two reasons businesses pay for anything have to do with either making the business more money or helping them lose less money, both of which mean more profit. So if you can figure out how you can fit into that equation, that's how you sell. I mean, it makes it easier to sell, first off, and you can charge a premium because you're delivering a premium product. You're giving them a lower risk path. Yes, a redesign can potentially get them more customers. But if you come up with a, a, a much surer way for your redesign to do that, then that's a much that's a better horse to bet on, right? So, and that's what you that's what you want to convey to your clients. God, <laughs> this is just like gold pouring out of your mouth. I love this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, everything you're saying it's it's fascinating to me because a couple of years ago I I made a real conscious shift. And my own mindset in terms of business and, and looking at, I don't even say expenses anymore. It's, it's, they're simply investments in my business, right? The tools and resources. And, you know, I've been in a mastermind for almost two years now and I pay monthly for it. However, I've doubled my income the last couple, like year after year. And, you know, so when you start seeing that, it's, it's like, well, I, I know I wouldn't be where I am today had I not made that investment in my business and forget all of the extra value that comes from the, the right connections and, and working with like-minded people and whatnot. But when you start looking at, your, at, at these things as investments and it is challenging, I think with, with the freelance work and web work to, to start saying, well, look, if you've, you know, by doing X, Y, Z, 
to your website or whatever and, and the lifetime value of a customer and getting people to start thinking that way. Um, it, it just opens this whole other realm of possibility. Um, in essence. So, you know, I guess like with, with, with the pricing piece of it and shifting that. So how do you work with freelancers to, to, to get them to go from this place of, you know, I'm this hourly employee or I, I bill by the hour or per project or whatever to say, to seeing their own value and being able to present it. Like, what does that look like to work with you? Uh, well, if you mean by working with me, like going through one of my courses on. Yeah, of course. Um, cause you're like, I'm 20 grand a week. It's not going to work. <laughs> but you I, know. I do coach some agencies but, yeah. but for, um, for the average freelancer. So, I mean, I can, I can give you kind of a high level overview of yeah, kind of my cover. So, my strategy is going into things is to do something. So I went to college at a classic uh, school that taught the classics. So read a lot of ancient philosophy and things like that. And um, one of the things that really stuck with me and it surprises me to think that, you know, an ancient Greek philosopher could be one of the best things I ever did for my business was <laughs> um, reading, you know, reading Plato. So in Plato's dialogues, you have Socrates practicing something that's now called Socratic questioning, which is a, it's a method that lawyers use, um, psychiatrists and so on use to really peel away layers of a, of a problem that's kind of on the surface. So in my case, what I'll do is if you come to me and you say, um, Hey, Brennan, I, I need a new website. I hear you do what, you know, do website work. What most people, most of my peers would do would be to immediately start jumping into the details and say, okay, let's talk about you know, WordPress and plugins and themes and blah, blah, blah. Um, what I do first is I, I ask them, so what actually led you to wanting a website? Like what, what event happened or what series of events happened? And from there, I try to figure out exactly what, um, basically what problem like lies at the root of those events. So if they want a new website, it's usually because they don't feel like they're getting enough customers through their website now or, um, you know, they, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they're not there. A, a new pizzeria down the road has readers on their website and like the brand is so much better than theirs. You know, there's some underlying either emotional or financial kind of thing at the root of, of the request of the website. So the next thing I'll do is I'll then try to figure out, okay, well, what does that actually mean in your business? Um, what, what happens because you don't have as many customers as you want? Are you potentially going to need to lay off some people? Can you maybe not expand as quickly as you want to expand? And I try to really, you know, business owner to business owner, try to figure out exactly. So tell me about like, why are you willing to spend money on a website? Right. Like what, what, what's, what's your, you know, intent on doing that? So that's, that's the Socratic questioning piece that I, that I uh, cover. And then from there, I try to figure out what I call the financial upside which is, well, if this problem can magically go away, if you start getting these customers that you want to be getting, what does that mean for you and your business? You know, and, and that's where, like I mentioned before, if you figure out their profit model and their, or their business model and conversion rates and everything like that, and you can figure out where you fall into that, then it allows you to really have a full picture, of, a really good picture of what their business looks like. Um, so that, that's what I do first. And then what I do is, Another thing that I do, which is kind of I, uh, not fully typical yet, is instead of trying to sell them then on, okay, great, let's you know hire me to build you this new website, 
Um, I instead try to sell something that I call a road mapping session, which could be called a discovery phase or, you know, something. Um, and usually this is at a fraction of what the budget for the full project would be. Because what I want to do next is I don't actually want the jump from like zero to 20K, let's say, is a pretty big jump. I mean, that's a big leap of faith for the client. But what I offer is instead something, uh, you know, for a few hundred dollars, which is kind of the first requirement to become a client of mine. And I call that a paid road mapping. It takes an hour or so. And that's where I really dig in deep into all of this and really help them figure out exactly the scope, the priorities, what risks are there and so on. And I do this intentionally because first off, this is a way a lot of us, you know, if we do estimates for free, we just kind of rush into them often. And then we get bit at the 11th hour when, you know, when you realize, oh, they were actually thinking Lexus and I anticipated, you know, Corolla, um, which becomes kind of a, a problem, right? If, if, <laughs> yeah. if you know, they're thinking one thing, you're thinking another. So there needs to be usually a good amount of time spent making sure you and the client are in the same wavelength. So I charge for that and I, I call it a road mapping session and it's valuable in its own right. We're able to really distill down their idea into something actionable, into a roadmap uh, that kind of charts forward exactly what needs to be done to, to get where they need to be. But the important thing at that point is they're now a client. They're not long. They're no longer just a lead. They're a paying client. And there's a huge psychological kind of inflection point when that happens. And we all know how much easier it is to sell to past clients. And same thing happens here. If you can, if you can have them spend money on you, and you deliver a positive more value than they're putting into it, the likelihood that then they'll then graduate to that 20,000 just shoots through the roof. So I do that. And then I, I deliver a deliverable. I give them a report that is uh, kind of meeting notes for the entire meeting, wireframes we produced, um, scope, prioritization, and everything else. But this report is basically my proposal. It's basically saying, here's exactly what you need to do to fix this problem. Um, and for me to do that, it'll cost X. And, um, but at that, it doesn't look like a proposal. It's a product. It's a product they bought at that point, right? So they basically paid for the estimate in a way. And, um, so that's kind of my, my process, I guess. Uh, obviously, W Fluence Rate goes very in depth into all of that. But, um, at a high level, that's kind of the conveyor belt that I use to, um, to sell people, uh, which is really just very, you know, yes, I'm, te- I'm technical. I usually, my engagements involve me either, writing code, doing some design work in Photoshop, doing writing CSS, HTML, JavaScript, uh, copy. But that's not what I'm selling. Like I'm not, you're never going to see a proposal from me, uh, which is like line items about, you know, code or design or whatever else. Um, so that's kind of the lunar overview. I like the lunar overview, <laughs> um, but I just want to let all the listeners know too, that I will have links to everything um, that Brennan has mentioned. We'll be in the show notes just because his courses, I mean, there's a lot there and there's, you know, you can step your way into depending on where you're at. Um, one of the things that I absolutely love that you just said was it's, it's a criteria for someone becoming a client of yours in that essentially you're pre-qualifying people. And what I love that you're not just giving away your time. I think a lot of um, freelancers think that they need to do a lot of these meetings and, you know, and give free proposals and all of that. So I think, you know, cutting that out right away, it's a pre-qualifier to people who are serious about potentially working with you. So I, I, I just think that's huge. Um, 
So let me ask you this. Like one of the things that I've seen is a lot of web devs really just don't market their business, you know, where I was talking about whether they've got, you know, a newsletter opt-in or whatnot, but it's, they're not marketing at all. And you go to their website and, and they're really doing this, that they rely on referrals and, you know, it's funny, like I don't, I don't even have a portfolio or a link to, to do websites on my site anymore because it's just a part of what we do, but I create a lot of content and I connect with people and they see me doing like I'm, I, I think of myself as a marketer. I'm not a, a trained developer or whatever, but you know, so from that perspective, like, why do you think that is like, or, or in working with people, where's that disconnect that they don't market their own business? Well, I think part of it could be that they don't always really know um, how to, right? It's not really, again, the, the, most of us, especially those of us who are more in the technical end, aren't really trained marketers. So that that's often one big problem. But the other one, I think, is this kind of, um, for a lot of freelancers, what ends up happening is, at least for me at least, early on, the right projects came at the right time. I got the right referrals at the right time. But I wasn't anticipating for, um, really for, uh a month where I got no referrals or a month where I was sitting idle. Um, so I think the mistake a lot of us make is we just kind of figure, well, we'll, we'll get the next client when we need that next client instead of actually doing something proactively while you're even, you know, while you're booked. Right. Um, so I, you know, my outlook has always been, and again, this, this really stems from kind of necessity when I had this agency, was to make it, you know, I didn't want to be in a position where I don't know what we're going to be doing next month. And with 11 people in the company, that meant like, it's like trying to sell 11 projects a month, basically for the average freelancer, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I did not want to be in a position where I would not know what I'm doing next month. And um, so I had to really kind of kind of think about like, well, why did, um, why do people, why do people usually refer us? You know, referrals are by far, I think, the best qualified leads you can get, you know, outside of maybe a repeat client. Um, when, when you get referred by somebody, it's much different than like, you know, a lead who Googles you and clicks your ad or something. Oh, yeah. um, so, you know, knowing that referrals are where most of our clients come from, uh, I thought, well, where do they, you know, they, they come from where? They come from past clients. But that's problematic because if you're only doing a few clients a month, let's say, your referral base is kind of small. Right. Because the only people referring you are the ones who um, actually work with you. So then I maybe this is the the uh, philosophy training in college. That's that's kind of that helped illuminate this. But, okay, if if people who um, refer us used to work with us or had worked with us in the past, what made them willing to refer us? And and the, the answer was they got value from us. They got a project from us. They got you know, a new website or whatever else from us. So if, then I thought, well, what if I could give more, what if I could find a way to deliver more value to people without them being a client? Um, so if, if the, if the equation is basically give value to somebody and they're more likely then to refer you, especially when prompted, um, how can you give more value to people without there being a financial client relationship? And the way we did that was we started to do, um, a lot of really educational based marketing. So, Big eye opener for me was I went to a local, you know how they're, you know, every town has meetup groups with like mm-hmm. entrepreneurs or whatever else. Um, I went to one locally that was just for local entrepreneurs. And there was a speaker who was a, a copyright attorney. Um, and, you know, I didn't, I'm not the type who 
I never had to deal with digital copyrights or anything like that, but it was something that I knew, well, this is kind of in my area of things I should know about. So I'm going to go. So I went to this little talk that she gave and she just basically gave a, a complete overview of everything you need to know about copyright law, the DMCA and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And at the end of it, she, uh, she was smart. Actually, at the beginning of it, on, on every seat, she had a folder with a printout of her slides and her, and her business card in it. So I never ended up actually working for her or I never ended up working, hiring her. But a lot of her clients, I ended up referring to her just because I knew that, you know, she had her head on straight and, you know, I got info from her and I valued the information she gave me and so on. So that being kind of proven, I was like, well, what if we did this with our own stuff? What if we taught people about, you know, the 10, 10 things you should know before you hire a web developer or what to do when Excel becomes a nightmare or, you know, these are different things that we would host, these little presentations, these little seminars, and they'd be free and people would come. And what ended up happening was over time, you know, we had, we had first had a few dozen because we we, pre- we presented to other people's audiences first, like Chamber of Commerce or meetup groups and everything else. And then we eventually got, you know, hundreds of people. And then we eventually had thousands of local people who were digesting our content, who were coming out, you know, going to seminars of ours. We did, we threw events like a little kind of uh, Shark Tankish things where we'd bring in local angel investors and let people pitch their ideas. And we were always at the center of this. That is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And what ended up happening was we now had thousands of people locally who had received value from us. And then we just started getting a ton, like more referrals than we could handle because, again, we were nurturing this audience. We were giving them value again and again. And we were, you know, continuing to keep ourselves at the front of their mind we would send them things we'd invite them to future events and so on and what that ended up materializing for us as a company was six man months of booked work at any given time and again that's about 66 man months of booked work at any given time in the future which is a really good position to be absolutely Um, so you know what we ended up doing was you know if, if if you have this small little tight circle of clients you've worked with who are likely to refer you, we just expanded that tremendously at scale. We were able to get, you you get 40 people (laughs) watching a presentation of yours. You now have 40 people who are kind of indebted to you in a way, right? I mean, they've, they've learned from you and you can, one of the things we did and, and, you know, I I love this technique because it works really well is say somebody goes to an event and say you do an event on getting started with internet marketing, right? So Mm -hmm. you're, you're targeting companies that are kind of like interested in the idea of running ads, but they don't really know how to start. So you, um, you know, you, you invite them to an event and you basically teach them the ins and outs, high level overview of what paid advertising is immediately upon after they go to that you know event, you then start emailing them every, every few days for about two weeks. And in these emails, you're sending them more information about like actually how to set up their first campaign. So, you know, if we talked about, kind of high-level overview of internet marketing. Then we send them emails about, here's how to go to Google AdWords and sign up for an account. Here's how to, um, you know, create your first ad group, plug in a budget. A few days later, okay, let's look at the data that you've gotten, and you know, and so on. Um, the final email of that two, maybe three-week sequence would be, hey, you know, I hope you got a lot of, you know, information out of this. Like, my job as a, as a teacher is I want to make sure that, you know, everyone I've taught actually ends up doing something with the information I've given. So um, 
why don't we get on the phone for 10, 15 minutes and talk about what you plan on doing as a result of this, um, as a result of everything I've taught. So basically it's not a sales, like it's not pitched as a sales meeting, but you know, during that call, I'm basically, you know, our goal was to basically give them, um, kind of like a, a path forward, you know, okay, now that you've gone through our, you sat in the audience of our seminar, you've got these stock autoresponders of ours. Now let's talk about you and your specific business. And our goal was to find people who first off had, you know, they're running a business. They don't have time to learn about internet marketing. And secondly, they, uh, the, the difference, the delta, the gap between where we are and where they are experience wise is, is huge. And that's basically how we you know, our sales calls literally book themselves because we would have a link to our calendar and these li- emails would go out automatically to everyone who attended our events. And my sales guy would get his calendar basically populated automatically, which is a really nice position <laughs> at the end. Yeah. And the, the big thing is if you think about the typical sales, a lot of the time you're selling, you're trying to convince people that you're legitimate, that you're good, that you're reliable and so on. If you can knock out a lot of those objections through events that you teach or emails that you send out, your newsletter, whatever it might be, you can selling becomes a lot easier. I mean, we sold six-figure projects in 10 minutes because all we had to do was talk about details. Like, when will it get done? When are we going to start? And what the budget is? <laughs> yeah, you already engaged and built a relationship prior to the call. Exactly. And that's what you want to do. I mean, that's exactly what you want to do. So... So for freelance, yeah. I mean, is there, you know, I, I guess coming from the perspective of, you know, being a web developer and maybe, you know, I, you know, some people do strictly local or they work in their communities. Some people do online or both, you know, is there something you'd recommend like content creation or, cause you just named a few different things that really worked for you. Is there, you know, like a one tip that you would give somebody to say, look, just start doing this. Or is, is it an email sequence? Is it, you know, providing a lead magnet in exchange for their name and address? So in all honesty, I would say that because I think what a lot of people end up doing is creating a blog, writing some content, realizing no one ever gets to it. No one ever, Google doesn't send traffic magically and they <laughs> just give up over time, you know, eventually. And, you know, blog posts, whatever, they're, they're kind of impersonal because I can, you know, I can be your, your site, Kim, and you don't know I'm there or whatever else. Um, I, I think for the average person, a good starting point would be more in-person things like going to, going to like local networking events and instead of just pitching, instead of just advertising yourself, talk to people, like ask them, what are you, you know, do that Socratic questioning, ask them what, what problems they have and how it affects their business and so on. And then at the end of that, at the end of the meeting, you know, usually if you go to a networking event, you have this little ritual where you exchange business cards. Um, what I like doing instead is saying something like, Hey, by the way, I, um, you know, I run this little local, uh, group of people or, you know, community, for people who are interested in the intersection between, let's say, business and technology, I think you'd be a great fit. Would you? Would you like to join? You know, it's just a it's a thing. I send out emails occasionally with um, interesting tidbits, and so you know, it's not. It's a very you're basically opting people in in person, right? Yeah. And bounce rates are very low when that happens. Almost everyone will say yes, um, especially if people who go to networking events. They like being a part of exclusive clubs, exclusive organizations, exclusive whatever. Exclusivity works really well. <laughs> right. So, you know, one of the things we did was like, hey, we're we're doing this thing where, you know, local local companies, local entrepreneurs who are interested in kind of, um, you know, startups and, and, and things like that, 
would you be interested in, you know, we're going to be doing future events. We're going to be doing, uh, you know, sending out emails and we would do things like, I mean, one thing you could do is you do this, you just opt people in on your phone. You just add them to your notepad, go back home, you add them to your email marketing app. And then, um, in terms of emailing them, what you can write is literally, you know, say you read a few interesting articles a month that are not too geeky. They're kind of high level, like businessy. And you can just email like three, four of these articles a month to your list. And some, you know, would here are the four links, two, three sentence summary about each. And then a call to action at the end, which is, Hey, what are you, um, you know, if you, if you read these articles and you get something out of them, reply back and tell me what you plan on doing as a result. Like what are, you know, what are you going to do as a result of this email I sent you? And eventually you can phase out other people's articles with your own content. Um, you can, it can start being your own podcast interviews or your own uh, blog posts or whatever. And you, but it's a great way to kind of initially seed that. And then once that gets going, then you can start to, um, you know, basically, because uh, you're, say you create new content, you're going to send it to this captive audience and you can ask them to share it. And you know, there's all these ways to kind of increase kind of the, the viral growth, I guess, of this content. But I think just starting with an empty blog that has no inbound links to it, um, for a lot of people, it gets kind of a, you know, it's like they're not seeing results and they give up. Yeah, well, and I think that the, you know, the amount of information that we have access to, it's it's how do you stand out? And I think that's partially why I'm so passionate about podcasting is it's just not as crowded yet, um, but there's also more of a human connection when somebody hears your voice and they hear the inflections and the storytelling element of it. You know, so I don't know, that's always an option too, but it is, I, I think it's, it's just that connection piece and it's, uh, you know, the lead generation thing, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I, I, I wish I would learned about paid traffic far longer <laughs> earlier than I had just as a testing methodology. You know, I, I think, you know, when you talk about people blogging and giving up, I, I see that often, or I've seen somebody run a Facebook campaign and they're like, well, it didn't work. I'm like, you cannot throw in the baby with the bathwater just yet. Like test the headline or test this. And a lot of people, when they're trying to market their business, especially from a freelancer perspective where you're like, well, I've got to do the work. I don't have time to market. Um, and just last question before we, we wind down is, you know, in terms of teams, I, I know that I couldn't have scaled my business. Um, obviously, you're a proponent of, of growth and stuff. Where are you at now with that? Do you work with teams or, um, you know, what do you recommend to people? So I have a team of five in Columbia who do all of my plan scope development. Um, and beyond that, I have a like a virtual assistant who basically manages all of my my inbox so if you uh you know one of the things i, I really really struggle with is email because i i do get a lot of it and what she does is she's kind of like a human gmail filter where she'll <laughs> figure out like these are emails from customers and you know she'll open up my customer database and customers get kind of first dibs um but then she'll also kind of segment out uh, what's actually asap what's uh can be responded to later and what's just more informational and I have all of these um, kind of Gmail labels that I, you know, I, I immediately start the day, I go into my customer ASAP. So these are customers of mine that need an answer quickly or need something done quickly. And I'm able to, instead of having just this huge list of emails, I'm able to kind of uh, go in systematically. And um, it's, it's a little less intimidating when, you know, you wake up with five emails instead of 500 or something. <laughs> yeah. So I'm using a tool called um, at same later. Uh, and because I wasn't smart enough to, you know, use like one email address for subscriptions that I subscribe to, 
Um, but it's pretty fascinating that it starts creating those filters for you. It's a free tool. It's been it's so far so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, God, Brennan, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Where is the best place for people to get in touch with you or connect with you, follow you? So two places. Um, first is doubleyourfreelancing.com, which mm-hmm. is my blog, podcast, um, has all my stuff on it. Um, but I also have, you know, since you're probably listening to this audibly, uh, freepricingcourse.com, which literally just redirects to uh, a page on doubleyourfluencing.com. Um, but freepricingcourse.com is a, it's a nine lesson free email course that I've put together that basically describes what we talked about. It's credit questioning, quantifying the financial upside, figuring, you know, writing a proposal. I talk about things we didn't talk, get to cover, like how do you anchor? How do you present different options and why should you do, why should you do that? Uh, things like how do you qualify new, you know, new, new leads and everything else. Um, so that's at freepricingcourse.com. Uh, that's awesome. And then, which he's got Brennan has great courses, you guys also on the site. <clears throat> I'm looking at the sell yourself online, the blueprint that looks fantastic. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And then Planscope, it's planscope.io. Is that correct? Planscope.io. Yes. And that is if you're looking for project management software that is meant for people like us that has things like uh, budgeting built into it and just things like ability to say, this is blocked until I get feedback from, or what I need from a client. Like that's native, right? Like, so it's very, you wouldn't use it to plan a wedding, right? <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's for doing like the 95% of projects that, you know, like website, re, you know, redesigns or whatever else it's, that's what it's built for. Awesome. Gosh, Brennan, thank you so much. Of course, I've got tons of notes and now I've got to go read Plato. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy to help him. Thanks again, everybody. So just stay tuned for the end and I will make sure to reiterate the links. And again, all the links to everything that Brennan mentioned will be in the show notes. So thanks again, everybody. Do you see what I mean? He's kind of brilliant. <laughs> like I was just floored. Talk about amazing. So anyways, make sure to connect with Brennan and check out doubleyourfreelancing.com. And let me know if you guys would be interested in transcripts. I've never done them before. Um, I've not had people ask for them. But I think as we dive into some more of these, well, I think they're all valuable interviews, but some of these business ones where you may want to come back uh, and reference some very specific tips or tools. uh, Let me know if that would be helpful. As always, thanks so much for listening. And if you are so inclined, I would love a review on iTunes. Just head over there and leave me a review and let me know what you think. Thanks, guys. Have a fantastic day.